Good morning, folks. Hello. Um, I've got to say, what a fantastic conference this has been so far, and I'm hoping today will be the same. Uh, I don't think I've seen dancing quite like it. Uh, I've been to a lot of conferences, and that was something special last night, so hats off to you all. Um, great admiration for that. Um, we've got a very short time uh, in this keynote to introduce a wonderfully um, rich pedagogy, a way of teaching and learning called Philosophy for Children, or P4C. And it's been around for about 50 years, so it's, 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 you know, it's got a pedigree. It's been around quite some time. Um, and it's something that's very close to my heart. I've been practicing it for about 30 years. Uh, and so I've got a very short time to introduce a wonderful thing that can help um, anyone, you know, if, if you're working with just three-year-olds or 18-year-olds, whatever subject you teach, philosophy for children can be a way of doing that. So right from the start, I just want to mention that philosophy, in this case, is not a subject like you would find at a university. It's more philosophizing. That is, this is how to get children to think, communicate, and question really well. Particularly in getting them to generate their own questions. Um, that is giving them an opportunity to tell you what they are curious about, what they're interested in, what they're motivated to know. Uh, and that's a lovely wave to surf on, to, to find out what they want to know and to work with that. So, um, by way of introduction, I just thought I'd reflect on some of the things actually we were talking about yesterday with the active learning. Um, if you came to one of the two workshops I ran in the afternoon, um, one of the questions I asked was, what would you love your pupils, your students, to have more of um, in the classroom? And what I meant by that was what skills, attitudes, dispositions, capacities, what are the What's missing? What would upgrade their ability to be great and active learners? So um, we used their tree, and I just said, okay, imagine this wonderful great learner as a tree. What are the roots of that learner? And between the two groups, we um, collated our ideas, and here's the, well, the 14 of the 16 that you mentioned. This is what you would like as ESARP staff And that, to me, is a very, very powerful and beautiful list of skills and dispositions. Um, imagine a classroom where those qualities were strong. What a pleasure to go and teach them. Uh, it's more a case of where are they taking you today than where am I taking them. So, the challenge, of course, as ever, is how do we get those going when we've got a full curriculum? Well, I want to offer you then this way, this pedagogy, philosophy of children, um, as one way of doing that. It's not the only way, but it, it may help what you're doing. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show you five minutes of children having a discussion. And what's happened in this lesson, or what we would call an inquiry, is that the teacher's gone in and she held up a single jigsaw piece, so a jigsaw puzzle, and she's got one piece, and she just held it up like that and said, 
Have a think about that. So she's given, this, given them a stimulus to wander about. And as, as Aristotle said, philosophy begins in wonder. So they were wondering about this jigsaw piece and had some thoughts. And then in small groups, they share their thoughts, really listening to each other, expressing things well. And once they've shared their thoughts or reflections, they're then challenged to create a wonderful, what you might call a juicy question, a philosophical question. Um, that is a question that doesn't have a kind of a Google answer to it. It's contestable. People will have different opinions, um, different views and perspectives. Uh, it'll lead to deeper thinking. If you like, it's an invitation to go down a rabbit hole where you go down and discover new ideas, new understandings. So each of the groups were challenged to come up with a philosophical question that this jigsaw piece had made them wonder about. And then as a group, or what we call a community of inquiry, we're working together, community, to investigate something, inquiry. We, the, the group voted for one of their own questions to investigate. So which one were they most interested in? So they identified a single question. Uh, and the question that they chose was that. If life was a puzzle, does it need to be completed? Now, um, a little bit about the kids, and then I'm going to play the video. Um, these kids are, they're about 11 years old, they're in year six, and they've done P4C, or Philosophy for Children, probably about once a week. And because it's simply a way of teaching and learning, you can do it in any subject. So one week they might do an English lesson in the P4C way, and then the next week it might be a science lesson done in the P4C way, and the week after that it might be history or science, or whatever it is. It can change from week to week. So they've done this for about two years, and just a little bit about the school. The school is in a very deprived area of London. Um, it's in Lewisham. When I stay in this area, the, the hotel receptionist tells me not to go and walk down the side streets at night. It's not, it's not a great area. And roughly speaking, um, as an, a way of measuring poverty within schools, about two-thirds of the kids are on free school meals, which, relatively speaking, means these kids don't come from wealthy or privileged backgrounds. So there's a little bit of a, a context for you. So they've generated the questions, they've picked this one, and we're just going to join them at the point where they just start to discuss it. And what I'd like you to do with this video is just look at what the role of the teacher is. Um, actually, the role is more of a facilitator. So what is the teacher or the facilitator doing and not doing? How is a facilitator different to a teacher? Um, and check out other things. You know, what's the class atmosphere like? Uh, what are the quality of ideas? Um, how much teacher talk versus pupil talk is there? Um, who's running the show? So I'm going to hand over to the kids. Once we've had a look at that, I'm going to go back to the skills that you said you like yesterday, and we're going to have a quick game of knock the wall down. 
Um, it's a lovely way of evaluating what skills were used in any lesson. And you're going to play it as follows. In the video, if you saw any of these happening, and you can back it up with evidence or examples, then you knock one of those bricks off this wall. And what I'd like you to do with a few neighbors is, having watched just five minutes of the video, just see how many of those were involved in that five-minute discussion. So we're going to check philosophy for children, the pedagogy, against the list of things you would like. So over to the kids at Galleon School. If life was a puzzle, does it need to be completed? Okay, does the puzzle have to be completed? Um, Jordan? Uh, I just want to start off by saying, um, I, well, I think, I think it does and it doesn't, because if, if, your, puzzle, if your puzzle piece isn't complete, that, can somebody else like, um, complete it for you? Or does that mean it maybe it's just your puzzle, it's only your puzzle piece and no one else? Okay, so Jordan, you're talking about a puzzle kind of representing life with all the people making up the parts, is that yeah, what you're saying? And I think Aisha and Rosanna are saying it's just your own individual puzzle. Is that, is that right? right? Okay. Um, Jasmine, yeah. I think that uh, a puzzle does not need to be completed because I think that sometimes there are things in your life that is missing and I think that just because they're missing, it doesn't mean that your life is not complete. I think that the puzzle will still be, not like if even if there's one piece missing, it will still be complete because there's something in life that you have to just um, get on with because it, you can't get that thing. Okay, so you're suggesting, Jasmine, there's always something going to be missing and life isn't so straightforward that it's just a finished puzzle. Is that what you're saying? I'm interested to know what sort of things might be missing. And animals, yeah. Um, in life, I think um, loads of things are going to be missing, like family, friends, and eventually going to die. And they'll probably start, they'll probably have kids and all that, but they, that they have to leave behind when they leave the earth. But, but I believe um, that if you, um, e even if, I think that when someone dies, and someone takes their place, yeah, but it's not like the person will be forgetting, forgotten. Like, even if they're not famous or anything, like Napoleon or Leonardo da Vinci, they'll still be remembered by their families and the people who knew them and loved them. Okay, um, Umar? Um, I think that the puzzle can't be completed because, for what I believe, in this life, um, if it's a puzzle, what is life after death? Is that a puzzle or is that something else? So you mean you start a new puzzle? Yeah. Or do you carry on with the puzzle you're working on? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Mohammed, yeah. I, I want to say something about difficulties in life. Mm. Can your puzzle be like a diff the most difficult puzzle in the world because you're like trying to work with millions of things that are coming flying at you? And then like, um, say baby puzzles for like ages one to two where they only have like two pieces and it's like you have the funnest life and life comes to you as easy as pie. So it's like, done. So really, I'm thinking like difficulties in life represent difficulties in puzzles. I'm really interested to know what picture is on this puzzle. Because I was just thinking, I actually know this one, I think, is a Postman Pat piece. But you're all talking about your own puzzles, and I'm really interested to know what, 
What's on your puzzle? I think because the puzzle is really difficult, I think um, it will, there will be a question that you can never answer. And um, the second thing I want to say is I don't think I don't think it's about if you complete or if you don't complete things how you complete it. And like in life, it's like, life is like a quest, and you search, you, like, you search for your missing pieces. And I think like you can never complete um, like the your, the jigsaw puzzle. And like that's what that's what amaz that's what's amazing about life. I want to go to what Noah said and my only what she said because I think that you you start with just one piece like that and that's got a question mark on it. So then you have to collect all the pieces and um, you need to complete the puzzle to find out what question is asked, not the answer to the question that is given you. So then, but then you can't you can't I think you can't complete it because you with that one piece left. That's then you then your death is coming closer to you. You then you've died. You, you need to find the piece in that the piece that's left in where you've gone. Right, let me just check. So you're born and you have your one piece and on that piece is a question mark. And then you spend your whole life finding the other pieces to make up the question that has no answer. Is that right? There's always one piece missing and you get your final piece after you've died. Why why do we have the puzzle? Like um like does God have a puzzle? Does it have a difficulty? Does the, does the devil have a puzzle? Does it have a difficulty? Because nobody seems to bring up that we, we have to have a puzzle. But it's like, nobody else has to have a puzzle. Except for like, if, except for humans. Like, come on, somebody else has to have a puzzle except, except for just the inhabitants of the earth. Are you questioning, Jordan, whether we actually have a puzzle? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm questioning whether we have a puzzle and whether we should have a puzzle. I think we do have a puzzle because um, because a life has difficulties like like um, when you when you can't find a part of the puzzle and stuff. I feel like the puzzle is kind of like a reputation, um, like something yeah, yeah something re representing life. It's not like we really have it in real life, as in like it's there and we have to really find it and we have to go over mountains and the quest really find it. It's like, um, I think it represents life, that there's difficulties, there's some easy bits um, in life, and I think we do have a puzzle. Jordan, do you want to respond to that? I, I, see, I see what you mean by like, not saying we have to like go on a whole quest for it, but, and, and I think I, I get what you're saying is, but, what I, what I mean by puzzle is like um like you have your puzzle but you're part of life's puzzle. What is the big puzzle that everything goes into? So yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um Lovey, well before we play knock the wall down with the skills, could you just share? Um, any reactions to that? And please be critical. I'm not saying that's the perfect story. You know, there, there's next stages to go with that group. But what struck you about the role of the facilitator, about the group, about the thinking? And, and please be critical. You know, were there things missing? Um, what struck you? Have a quick chat. <clears throat> Very good. Um, we'll just take some audience observations or views about that um, and very kindly 
got some microphone assistance. Would anyone just like to share something that you found noteworthy? Where's the custody? Oh, thank, thank you very much. Okay. Well, um, I, one thing I must point out is that the kind of ambience that was got, uh, it was due to the fact that the pupils don't feel they were talking about life, but more about puzzles. So they feel very comfortable associating puzzles with life, which is easier than associate life with puzzles. <laughs> the other thing is the role of the facilitator. Uh, she analyze, rephrase, explain, and ask about what pupils were saying. And the most beautiful thing was the fact that in spite of the fact that they may think differently, they don't criticize each other. They pointed out the difference, but they not pointed out the person. <laughs> Love it. Wonderful, detailed observations. Thank you very much for sharing those. Yes, um, part of the advantage of this is that they've generated the question and they voted for it, so you know they're going to be comfortable and interested in investigating it. They're using the sort of metaphor of the, the puzzle of life, and funnily enough, the only person who mentions Postman Pat, which is the, the child cartoon, is the adult. There she said, oh yes, I think it's a Postman Pat piece. And they're coming, look love, you know, we're up here. Uh, come and join us. We're on the abstract level of thinking, the puzzle of life. And yes, um, there are some definite approaches that the facilitator's using, as you say. She's sort of observing and paraphrasing. And interestingly, did you notice she doesn't praise anything? There's no, oh, that's a brilliant idea. Oh, amazing thought. None of that, because you can see as soon as that happens, the game changes, doesn't it? Into, you're here to please the teacher. Now, I want independent thinkers. I don't want people trying to guess what does the adult want you to say. I want you to enjoy your own thought for its own sake. And, of course, you fall into that trap sometimes. You think, oh, that's a brilliant idea. And then another child speaks, and you think, oh, I'd better say that to them as well. Oh, brilliant idea, well done, amazing, fantastic. Breathing in and out, woohoo, you know. And, you, and you've got praise inflation. Your praise means nothing. So she, by, by, she's definitely paying respect and, and wanting to know and wanting to understand and listen. So there's plenty of valuing of the thought, but she's not prioritizing or giving prejudice to any particular view. The content and the ideas is up to them to discover between themselves. The facilitator, if you like, is a guide on the side, not a sage on stage. It's not that I've got all the answers here, kids. You discover your own answers. I'm going to help you with the skills and the structuring of great thinking. So thank you. Can we take other views, other observations about the, the thing? Yeah, Any, I think. Yeah, thank you, oh. if you would. Sorry. The oh, okay. uh, let's, let's go there, and then we'll go across. Thank you. I think uh, together with the... Um, yeah, just one... Hold on. Oh. Yeah. Well, sorry, where's that gentleman? Oh, sir, go for it. And then, and then you, madam. Thank you. Sir, go for it. Um, Apart from the, the independent thinking, I, one thing that really struck me was the fact that they all had a question in common that they were collaboratively yeah. answering yeah. uh, or addressing. And uh, you know, that's, that's, that's quite amazing because 
that particular skill of being able to listen to each other and, and respond reflectively is something that very often we don't see in classrooms. So. Yeah. Yeah, lovely observation again. Um, it's what, yes, we call it collaborative thinking. There are four C's of thinking in the philosophy for children. Collaborative and caring thinking. So working together and pulling your heart into it, but creative and critical thinking too. And they're like legs of a horse. You want the four to be working together. With the collaborative thinking, you're quite right, there's good listening and building of ideas together. They're clearly being affected by what others are saying, and they're, they're taking that on board. They might not agree, um, but they're very... Did you notice the little boy there says, I, I get what you're saying, but... What a lovely way of disagreeing. So um, let me give you a practical technique, because, again, it's important that, you know, today doesn't sort of, oh, that was nice, and now we go back to the classroom. Let me give you a practical technique for getting that construction of dialogue, not mere conversation in the classroom, not just having a chat and airing views. So um, if you have some, uh, Duplo blocks, Lego blocks, it might be anything that connects, so it's paper cups, whatever you've got around. Um, try this, just give your pupils three Lego blocks each. This is how many times they can contribute. So there's a ceiling, there's a, there's a limit on those characters who like to talk a lot, often boys prone to premature articulation. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and it puts in the hand of the quieter ones, puts in their hand the right to speak. They don't have to, it's always voluntary contribution in P for C. It's only if they want to speak. I, I will never force them to speak. But, Everyone has three blocks, and let's, let's give you an example. Let's say there's a general topic. Let's say we're talking about bullying. And we're talking about bullying, and the teacher says, hey, what do you think about bullying? And one child says, well, I think bullies are bad people. So that pupil would use one of their blocks, and they would put it into the center of the room. Bullies are bad people. Now, this is where the, the listening and the building comes in. This is the game. It's listen and link. The next pupil who contributes must show that I listened to that and that my contribution will connect with it in some way. That's the rule. I listened and I'm linking. Now, they've got lots of different ways they can contribute. I can agree with you because, or I disagree with you because, or I've got an example of that, or I've got a counterexample of that, or I've got a question about that. But the fundamental rule there is I listened and I'm going to link. And the next child must do the same. And so on. So they are building, literally watching themselves construct or build a line of inquiry. And it is this that gives your dialogue, your communication, a forward learning movement in the class. There's rigor and skill and focused attention. Compare that to, sadly, what you see sometimes in classrooms where the teacher says, hey, what do you think about bullying? And one child says, oh, I think bullies are bad people. And you go, oh, thank you. And you go, oh, hand up there. What do you think? You think your brother's bullying? Okay, paperwork, but see me afterwards. And what do you think about bullying? <laughs> sort of, um, you saw a bully on TV last night. Very good. And what do you think? You're on about the cat that got run over yesterday. Again. <laughs> Why? I don't know, but thank you. And, and you get to at the end of that conversation, and you say, what do we learn? Let's reflect on it. 
And there's no building, there's no construction, there's no forward movement to what the thinking did. So what we're looking here for is the listening, the linking, and the construction of a direction. And that makes the dialogue much more fulfilling. It's interesting. We're on a journey somewhere, and we're doing it together. Um, there are other ways of using this. Uh, for example, I know some of you will be working with three- and four-year-olds, and you're thinking, this, in their hands, nightmare. It's like, eating it and throwing it. and you know. <laughs> Okay, absolutely fine. Just have a bucket of bricks in the center of the room, so it's not in their hands, and they go up, take a brick out, and put it down. So at the very least, you're just bringing a kind of a rhythm and a pace to the contributions. And can they connect things? So you just start very humble beginnings. For the older ones, if, if they kind of get used to this, well, then give them, say, four blocks and color code them. So it's not just four contributions, it's four different types of contributions. So a green block might represent, I agree with because. Red block, I disagree with because. Blue block, I've got an example or a counterexample, an exception to that. Yellow block, I've got a great question I want to ask. Now that's beautiful. If you're running that dialogue as a facilitator, all you have to do is look around the room for two seconds and you think, wow, everyone has still got their yellow block. That means no one's asking questions here. So where's my critical thinking? So I might ask them, pause, have a chat with a neighbor. Can you come up with a great yellow block question that will deepen our thoughts here? So it's a wonderful way of steering the skills into a dialogue. Um, and you can use it with other things, goodness me. Um, you know, you can tell a story. Who's got the first line of a story? Who's got the second line? Uh, solving a maths problem. Okay, here's the problem. Who's got the first step you think we should make? Okay, if that's the first step, who's got the second step? Um, you can do it with spelling. You can do it with a thousand things. But the point is here that we are borrowing all the brains in the room. We're getting people to think together, not separately. Um, I'm just thinking of, a, let's think of another pupil you might think of. Um, you know, sometimes you ask a question in the classroom and hands suspiciously go up before you finish the question. And you kind of go, oh no, hey, oh. You get all of this stuff now and again. And, um, and you go, oh, no other hands, let's go, okay, here we go, what do you think? And they've got no idea what they think, what, you know, they haven't got a thought together at all. And it's what I call a zombie contribution, that you're going to release this, this thing that's going to come out of their mouth and start wandering around, and, they, and they're, they're discovering their thought as they say it. So it's not rehearsed, it's just gas, it's a jelly. And, and then they start realizing they're boring people because they don't know what they're talking about. So they, sometimes they try and make it funny or controversial. What are they after? They're after the limelight. They're after the attention. So I'd say to them, and this is why we have to have thinking time, allowing pupils to actually hear their thought first or rehearse it in their head first. So they're giving me a structured thought as a block, not a lump of jelly. So it's, it's preventing that kind of lost, drifty, unthought contribution. So let's think of the scenario. Let's say you're just having any chat in the classroom. Say, so what do you think about that? What happens if 
A child says, okay, I think bullies are bad people. And another one comes up with something completely different, irrelevant, not linking. In that case, I'd still accept it. But I would challenge them. I'd say, okay, that's an interesting thought. Thank you. But do you think that builds on what that person says? Do you think it's a separate idea? Or, third option, put it next door. Are you repeating what they said? That happens quite often in the classroom, doesn't it? Pupils thinking, oh, that answer worked with a teacher. I'll just say the same. So I want them to distinguish separate, repeating, or building. And pretty soon you'll find that the repeating and the, and the irrelevant or the unconnected starts to disappear. And they start to think together. So um, if you haven't done that sort of thing in a classroom before, can I really recommend it? If you want to see a leap in the quality of dialogue in any lesson, start with that. And within a few weeks, you'll, you'll see a big difference. You don't need to use that all the time. Just once they've got used to it, you can just refer to the idea. And they won't find it easy at first. Don't worry. Just keep going for a couple of weeks. Believe me, the benefit will pay off. Okay. So, thank you, sir. Lovely point about the collaborative thinking. There's a practical way to enhance it all the more. Okay, um, well, I won't take any more views about that, but there's lots that we might see in that video. Generally speaking, I think it's, it's good quality thought, and as mentioned, there's a lovely kind of supportive atmosphere. No one's frightened of being disagreed with because they've made a distinction, haven't they, between arguing about the point but not arguing against the person. So if I offer an idea... I'm giving everyone something to play with and explore and open up, but I don't take it personally if you criticize my idea. They've understood that. They've taken their ego out of the story. And I do wish a lot of our politicians could do that. So um, there's a little flavor of children having a quality discussion. It's their question. It's motivated. Very little teacher talk. That's active learning searching out our curiosity together. Now, you might be thinking, okay, they've been doing it for a couple of years. What about little ones? I'm aware some of you are working with three- and four-year-olds and the like. Where would you start? So um, I'm just going to introduce a little chap called Luis to you. He lives in um, Brazil, so he's speaking Portuguese. It is subtitled. What I'd like you to do just with this is have a look at what he's discussing with his mum and spot the philosophy in what he's doing. What does it mean to be a philosopher? And can a three-year-old be a philosopher? Now, you're probably thinking, yes, they can. But let's see it. And not all three-year-olds can. Um, by the way, I have forgotten, so I must apologize. I do want you to check with a quick game of knock the wall down. Were this, these skills used in the video before we move on to young Louise? So would you take a moment or two with a neighbor? Play knock the wall down. Of those 14, how many do you think were demonstrated? Okay. Again, not an in-depth activity, but just to get a sense. Um, we'll just have a, a quick straw poll vote. Roughly speaking, um, I'm going to give you four options. None, some, most, and all. Um, let's see what you think. So, 
raise a hand if you think none of them were being modeled or expressed in the video. Raise a hand now if you think none of them were there. Okay. Some of them, that's less than half. Most, fair enough, and all. Okay, so we're looking at most and all. That's a good sign. Um, this is not my list, this is your list. Uh, how can we get this stuff exercised in a very natural way? And again, there's the challenge of, but you know, how do you know all pupils were doing it? And, okay, well then that would take another day to explain and go into a bit more. But it's perfectly possible to exercise this stuff in a very natural, curiously driven, active learning setting. That's all I want to kind of establish. In terms of the curriculum, though, you're not having to sacrifice the curriculum to do this. You think, oh, you know, we've got to stop all the subjects we've got to do to do this. Um, this is the English National Curriculum uh, statutory requirement. This is required by law. Um, and again, don't spend lots of time going through that, but there's 11 things that are required in English. Things like articulate and justify answers, arguments, and opinions. Um, use spoken language to, to develop understanding through speculating, hypothesizing, imagining, and exploring ideas. Participate in discussions, presentations. Um, consider and evaluate different viewpoints, etc. So it's, you know, there's plenty of stuff on the curriculum and it's developing the learner at the same time. They're not having to be separate things. Uh, by the way, and again, I can't go into depth with this, but there was um, the Education Endowment Foundation had 3,000 10-year-olds do this once a week for one year. And they found it added an average of three months progress on writing, reading, and mathematics. Now, the strange thing is we don't do writing, reading, and mathematics. But it, it raised those. And this was with control groups, Durham University. It's, it's quality research. It just shows that if you upgrade the quality of thinking and collaboration, it can affect everything. And there's also benefits to well-being. Um, just fundamentally, when the head teacher, I sort of met the head teacher, said, so what difference has this made? She says, well, I, the first sign I knew P for C was making a difference was in the playground. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, you know, there used to be quite a few fights in the playground. And she says, those just disappeared. And I said, how come? She says, well, you know, the kids were being reason -able, reasonable with each other. You know, a kid gets called a, a name, you know, oh, you're a fat pig or whatever, and they'd be sort of thumped back. That's what usually would happen. Now it's like, yeah, I still get called a fat pig, but I'm going, can you, can you explain why you called me a, a fat pig? And it's <laughs> reasonable. How lovely. So there are benefits in terms of well-being, results, core results, the curriculum, and the learner. So it's a powerful pedagogy. Um, let's move to Louise, though. Can a three-year-old do it? And where's the philosophy in this? So, check him out. Okay, 
O monstro cortou assim? Cortou. O quê? Pra gente poder comer, porque senão a gente ia ter que engolir inteiro. Mas por quê? É pra comer, amor. Igual corta o boi, corta a galinha. Ah, a carinha? Ninguém come também. Ninguém come a galinha? É, eu já mais. É? É. Mas vamos comer o nhoque? Come a batata, então. Só batata e só arroz. Tá. Nem povo é os animais. Tá bom. Todos esses são os animais. Peixe é os animais. Povo é os animais. Cães é os animais. Paca é os animais. Pouco é os animais. Hum. Então, quando a gente comer os animais, eles morrem. Hum. Por quê? Pra gente poder comer, meu amor. Porque eles morrem. Não gosto que eles morrem. Eu gosto que eles ficam em pé. Feliz. Então tá bom. Então a gente não vai comer mais não, tá bom? Tá. Esses animais são sobre... Tem que cuidar deles, não comer. <risos> tá certo, meu filho. Então come a parte da batata e do arroz. Tá bom. Por que você tá sorrindo? Não tô chorando, não. Ah. Eu tô emocionada com você. Eu tô fazendo uma coisa indo. <risos> então come. Não precisa comer o povo, não, tá? <laughs> what, a, what a marvelous child. Um, go vegetarians. Um, now, in that, it's, you know, he's only three years old. It's not a long life, is it? But there's definitely philosophy there, isn't there? He's, he's asking, is this octopus real? That is, you know, does it exist? Is it alive? Oh, no, it's not. And it's dead. And he's, oh, and he's got a value system. I don't want animals to die. Oh, there's some real consequences, then I won't eat meat. And he can, he's categorizing, he's questioning. What a lovely, lovely young person that is. Uh, just a, what a wonderful attitude and curiosity. But what's allowed that? What are the conditions and causes that allows a young three-year-old like that to think and communicate and express and have values? Clearly... Uh, you know, in the world, not all three-year-olds are going to be like that. So what are the conditions that that child's had? Now, we could explore this. There's probably at least eight or nine conditions, but some of the key ones, a mother that listens. Re you know, willing attention. I mentioned this yesterday uh, with the groups that came. I said that one definition of love is willing attention. Not trying to stop things with an answer. It's almost like she's putting a red carpet in front of him, going, keep thinking. Yeah, this is beautiful. Keep thinking. I'm not going to shut you down by telling you what to think. You keep thinking. Um, he's obviously got vocabulary for thinking as well, hasn't he? Um, it's, it's tiny little words, but by goodness me, they're powerful. If then. You know, that's the whole of cause and effect. He says, oh, you know, if this, then they die. Oh, So he's got these tiny little words, what I call sort of meta-concepts or superpower concepts. These are the words that allow us to think about all the other concepts. 
Um, let me give an example. Um, just, just the words all and some. So there's a lovely example of a, a colleague of mine who's having a chat to some three and four, well, four, four-year-olds about dragons. And one of the kids said, oh, dragons are very bad, like this. Now, Steve, my colleague, he, he just could have taken that, oh, okay, thank you, Tommy, and gone to someone else. But he, he wanted to push for depth and get this child thinking a bit more. He said, that's interesting. You said that and, uh, dragons are very bad. And he says, but do you mean all dragons are bad or just some dragons are bad? So he knocks it back. He pushes for depth. And the child in his young and infinite wisdom said, well, you know, it's very clear. Only some dragons are bad. Now, that comes back to Steve. And he said, Steve says, well, how would you tell the difference then between a bad dragon and a good dragon? And that just lit the class up. How would you test for a bad dragon? Uh, and they had a maiden, a, a, a young maiden, a woman strapped to a post, and you'd send the dragon by, and if she got flamed by the dragon, <laughs> clearly a bad dragon, but then if, if she got licked by the dragon, it was a good dragon, but then it got pointed out, but licking's not very good either. So they had a scale of flaming, licking, and non-licking dragons. And where did all of that rich imagination and creativity come from? It came from that beautiful use of just all and some. It just broke open the rabbit hole for thinking. And that skilled, beautiful bit of facilitation. Tiny words making big differences when they're well-placed. So um, here are some of the key principles I'm talking about in P4C. Dialogue not mere conversation, we're building things together. Facilitator, not the person who's full of answers, they get that for most of the week. Why not have some time during the week where it's over to their curiosity, their questions, and I'm helping them discover their own thinking. We've got a group of children who are building things together, who respect each other, there's a lovely atmosphere in there. Can you imagine that group in the video talking about the puzzle? what they're like in a maths lesson. You know, it, it doesn't stop going, oh no, that was philosophy with children. We, we treated each other nicely. Now we're in maths, we're just gonna kill each other again. It's, you know, it spreads this, this good feeling. Um, and obviously we're developing thinking communication skills. Now, by way of ending, I just, you know, there, I, believe me, I could do 10 days of consecutive training on P4C and still have more days I'd like to train. It goes far and deep. So, in a short keynote like this, I just want to give you a flavor of how P4C can support active learning and unlock all of that wonderful curiosity and questioning that's sitting in children. I think education systems around the world are answer-rich and question-poor. And it would be great if we brought more of that questioning in because that's where a lot of motivation lies. So let me end by just by sharing one little area, one technique I'd love you to all take and share as a school. If you just took this from the entire conference, then I hope it would be worthwhile because it's almost no effort but has a huge impact. And that's always appealing, isn't it? So this is to do with the area of questioning. Uh, of course, you would have done work on questioning before. I'm just going to kind of give you... Uh, a little bit of my take on things to kind of home in on and use. First of all, two aspects to questioning I'm going to mention here. One, phrasing of questions. How 
One word in a question can make a big difference to the feeling of answering it and the breadth and the imagination of answer. So let me demonstrate that. Let's do it in maths. You know, it doesn't have to be philosophy for children proper. Questioning in general. So here's a problem, and let's do it together. So I'm going to phrase this in two ways. And let's see if there's a difference. So here's the first way. ABC goes to ABD. Therefore, MNO goes to MN what? What is the answer? Lovely, thank you. So we've got an answer of P. Um, I didn't give you any reflection time. Only some of you answered. And I'd be under the impression we've all done that, and I'd move on to another problem. So let me change it by one word and a few reflective seconds, and let's see what happens that might be different to that. So here we go. ABC goes to ABD, therefore MNO goes to MN what? What might the answer be? I'm just going to put in 15 seconds there to have a wonder about that. What might the answer be? Okay, any offers? What might the answer be? Might be P. Can someone give me a reason? Oh, D. Give me a word that starts with that letter. Delta. Dragon. Dragon. <laughs> Lovely. Why D? Justify it. Okay. So it might be it's moved on one in the first, and it just changes to D each time. That might be the rule. Or it might be you add a line to the C and you get a D, and you add a line to the O and it still goes to a D. So there's possibilities behind D, and I'm going to put a tick to show it was justified, it was supported with a reason. What might it be? P? Because... O and P, it moves on one because the top one moved on one, okay. What might it be? What could it be? Yes, at the back. You, because... It's the next vowel. Oh, okay. Lovely. It could be anything. Yes, it could be any letter. It's just random. Now, I did this. You're not doing badly at all. Um, I, I did this in a school for boys with bad behavioral difficulties. They were eight. Uh, they came up with 12 answers in about four minutes. Um, I'll just give an example. One of them said it's a backwards N because the B and the D reverse. Another boy said, oh, it's the number one because that's a zero. And it moves one. I thought, that's nice thinking, so I'm going to push for depth. I'm going to question again. So I said, but what if it's actually O? And he looked a bit annoyed, to be honest. He says, wait, wait, wait. We use O in telephone numbers. 027, 028, 027, so it's okay. <laughs> Kung Fu thinking, beautiful. So look at that. This is, this is called the language of possibility. By using the word might or could, 
I've opened it up. If I say, what is the answer, I make it clear. There is only one answer. The teacher's got it, and your job is to guess my one answer. If I say, what might it be, what could it be, and give them thinking time, look at the reasoning and the creativity that comes out of the same problem. So language of possibility, could and might, just throw it into some of your questions. Now, even more importantly than that, what's your repertoire of questions like? This is key for facilitation and key for learning in any lesson. Um, how many questions, different questions, do you ask in a day? Roughly? I would say roughly from my experience, most teachers, we probably ask about six. We've all got our favorites. One of mine might be, why do you think that? That kind of pops out of my mouth quite a bit. Why do you think that? Now, when I ask, why do you think that? I'm getting, or I'm asking, or demanding the skill of explaining. So I'm getting the explaining muscle in the head to exercise. You're going to explain it back to me. But if I say, what are the consequences of that? I'm exercising a different muscle in their brain. The if-then cause-effect thinking. So you can see pretty quickly that if you've got a broad, lovely repertoire of questions in your head, you've got far more control over the depth, breadth, creativity, and criticality of the thinking in your classroom. Think of it the other way around. Imagine a teacher who just asks the same question day in, day out. Why do you think that? 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 How tedious for everybody. It's like going to the gym and just working on one muscle, the explaining muscle. All of these other muscles, divergent thinking, creative thinking, collaborative thinking, synthetic, all of these other muscles not being exercised because I'm not questioning for it. So my last thing to do with you in the last couple of minutes now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on about 45 questions up there. Just take two seconds to scoot down them, and you've got, you've got, this is a compulsory part of the conference. You've got to pick one question you don't normally use. And you've got to promise yourselves, next week, I'm going to throw that into the classroom and see what it does to the thinking. So, and you can download this from my website, thinkingeducation.co.uk. Um, it's under the resources section. There they are. Take a moment, pick one, and I'm going to pick someone out of the audience randomly to say, which one have you gone for? Okay, so make sure you've got one. Take a moment, maybe share it with a neighbor once you've found them. Make sure you've selected one, because the ball of destiny might be coming your way. Have you got anything? Oh, that would be nice. I'd love to get that one a go. See what it does for them. Um, okay, and by the way, if you catch it and you haven't got one, don't panic. Just chuck it again. But if you've got one, that would be lovely. So it's got to be random. Um, so I'm going to chuck it into the audience. Would that person, and I haven't done the risk assessment, so please, you know, keep your eyes open. Um, that person catch it, throw it to a second person, throw it to a third person. Would the third person tell us which question they've chosen? So it's truly random. So I'm going to start over there. Woo! Bing! And pick it up, throw it to a second person, if you would. Uh, throw, throw it to a second person, that's it. Hooray, well done. And third person, go for it. Whoever's picked it up or notes. Which one did you go for? Now. 
We, we didn't arrange this, did we? No, okay. Lovely question. What, what appealed about it? Why did you like it? What was... What, that people struggle with is, is gaining different perspectives, looking at the whatever it is they're looking at from the perspective of another person. And I think this question opens up that possibility in Absolutely. a very simple way, in a, a non-threatening way as well. Yeah, brilliant. And thank you, Ben. Yes. Um, a wonderful question for building empathy. You know, getting the other point of view. A lovely pit question to challenge thinking. They've got their view, and you're going to get the opposite view in their head. So it has to fight. You've got cognitive conflict now. Thinking goes deeper. Um, very useful with partners. <laughs> Just think that one through. You know, who's driving to the party tonight? Maybe you both want to have a drink or two. Just pop that into the discussion, and you'll find you're chauffeured by a rather confused partner going, how the hell did I talk myself into this? So they're useful in life. Now, here's the power I want to leave you with. Not just add one question next week. If everyone in your school added one question every week, by this time next year, you would have a surgeon's toolkit for thinking in every lesson. And that would last you for life. If you work with three, four, or five-year-olds and look at those, and ooh, those are pretty sophisticated, don't worry. Just adapt them or pick ones that work. But if you were going to take one thing from my stuff from this conference, it would be everyone at your school pick one a week and do it over the year. It's zero work and will have a fantastic impact for philosophy for children, but right across the board for active learning. <laughs> Folks, thanks very much.